Morning, everyone. I have to confess, I almost forgot to bring my Bible up. I think that's the first. Um, as Richard says, we're going to be spending some time in the Apostles' Creed. just want to say uh, another heartfelt welcome to Pastor Raju. The, the Father's House Church is a beautiful community. And tonight, as we pray for them, I, I would be expecting that we can, with our prayers, bless that community and bless Pastor Raju and his wife Daisy and their family. Um, but I think it would also be instructive to us as we hear about what it is like to serve Jesus and build the church and seek the kingdom uh, in a very different context to our own. Um, I think that will strengthen and equip us just to hear from uh, Pastor Raju. So thank you for being with us this evening as well. Um, and just to say as well, Dan, I think what you brought earlier on, I can't see where you are, you're here somewhere, uh, it's just going to help us so much. Um, and I think when we conclude and we worship again, having looked at God's word together, I, I think what Dan shared with us will we'll form the basis of our response to God today. Um, I think that's just, well, you'll see how it unfolds. Uh, let's look at the Apostles' Creed. We've, we've tended to read that through. Uh, you'll see it come up on the screen, this old declaration of the Christian faith. Uh, so I'll read that before we get into the next part. Or you can read it with me if you like. Uh, it says this, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Uh, we are going to look, uh, I think this is the seventh message uh, on the Apostles' Creed, and today we're looking at that statement which says, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Um, when you consider how much has been said about Jesus, this can seem incredibly brief. Just that's the headline, I believe in the Holy Spirit. But um, the, the Apostles' Creed shows us that from the very earliest days, from the very earliest times, uh, the Christian faith was understood as Trinitarian. I believe in God, we've looked at. I believe in Jesus Christ. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, matching the Great Commission that Jesus brings at the end of, uh, of Matthew's Gospel. Go and, make all dis go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to look today at that statement, I believe in the Holy Spirit. And as ever, there's so much we could say, there's so much we could look at. This is like dipping the toe into something absolutely massive. Uh, but I would just like to take you, first of all, to John, John's Gospel, uh, chapter 14 and verse 16. And all that we look at and consider today just, in a way, comes out from this verse, but we'll obviously visit lots of other scriptures too. So this is Jesus speaking to the disciples. And for now, just to read verse 16, Jesus says, And I will ask the Father... And he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. 
I believe that is wonderfully good news. This comes at a time for the disciples when they are fearful. Jesus has just dropped a bombshell on them, really. You know, initially, there's that we see earlier on in the Gospels that the moments where Jesus spoke to someone and he called them and says, come and follow me, be my disciple, come and be with me, follow me. That was the call, to spend time with Jesus. And there'll be times when he, he sent them out, um, but the, the call was to be with him. Every day with Jesus, you've got to wonder what that was like for the disciples, just waking up, finding Jesus again. Right, Jesus, what are we going to do today? Um, he was there. They were with him. And then the shock comes uh, just a chapter or so earlier. John chapter 13 and verse 33. He says, my children, I will be, be with you only a little longer. You will look for me. And I ju just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. What? The call was to follow you, Jesus. What do you mean we can't follow you now? Shortly, you're not going to be with you. You're not going to be with us. We've had, this, we've had years of every day with Jesus. And now you're telling us that we're about to have every day without Jesus. They're troubled. And so in these chapters, which we're just dipping a toe in, like I say, Jesus is, is preparing them uh, for his departure. Actually, there's loads of things he did to prepare them for that moment, but in these chapters of John's Gospel, that's really to the fore. He's, he's preparing them for a time when they're not, he's not going to be with them anymore. Um, hence, he'll say in a number of occasions through these chapters, do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let your hearts be troubled. He'll also say a whole number of times, keep my commands. You know, stay the course, if you like. And the reason he can say that is that he is bringing a promise to them, a, pro a promise that he will elaborate on. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. Jesus promises the Holy Spirit will come. So let's consider then, who is the Holy Spirit? Who is this one to come? This verse here describes him as an advocate. Now, maybe some of you in your particular line of work will think, aha, all right, I've got a pretty clear idea of what being an advocate involves because that's what I do. I, I, I'm involved in advocacy. Um, but for many of us, we might think, what is that? And you might look to the footnote in your Bible or turn to a different translation and you might find... Uh, other words that different translations have chosen in English to try and communicate effectively what this word is. So you might look and see that for some it mentions comforter. And there's some, there's some benefit to that. But the strange thing about the word comfort is that it has changed meaning over time. So when in English translators in, in centuries past thought, yes, we're, we're talking about the comforter, they had in mind someone who brings strength. We might now think as comfort as like the 12 tog duvet that you just got out from underneath the bed and you now, oh, that's just lovely. So, so cozy. So it, it could give us strange ideas. The comforter, 
I don't think the writers of Scripture had in mind the 12 tog, do they? But that's sometimes where my head might go when I hear that word. Or maybe counsellor. Well, there are lots of different sorts of counsellors. There are, there are legal counsellors, people who help someone in a court of law. That's probably more uh, what would be having in mind. But we might think of something different. Who, someone who has a clipboard and is about to ask you questions and says, just you know, take a seat on the couch. There are different sorts of counsellors, so we might not automatically grasp what that's entailing. Uh, NIV chooses advocate, and uh, that's not an unhelpful word, but you might actually note that in the NIV, because it might not be obvious, they actually add a few other words. It, it could, perhaps should read, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate uh, to be with you forever. And what the NIV does is because we perhaps don't quite grasp what an advocate is, it will say, uh, another advocate to help you and be with you. So then you might find another translation which will say, here comes another helper. I like that. I think I get that. But the, tr the, the, the issue with the word helper is we might think that the person helping us is just a little bit beneath us. We just get on with life and they're like kind of just like picking up after us like dirty washing off the floor. Oh, I suppose I have to help. Yeah, could you just do that? Thanks. And off we go in life. The helper. Isn't it great to have a helper? And we're not talking about the, the Spirit of God being kind of subservient to us. But he is a helper. And behind that word, or, or that, what that word is, is, is kind of getting at, is the idea of someone who comes alongside. The help. The advocacy, the comfort, the, the counsel is about coming alongside. Um, a few examples, a few illustrations, a bit uh, kind of athletic illustrations. I wonder if you remember uh, the Brownlee brothers, famous British Yorkshire, indeed, uh, triathletes. And there was one particular race, and I can't remember which one it was or how long ago it was, but this happened. I think Johnny Brownlee was, do, uh, was maybe running in second place, doing well, but he... Missed, I don't understand such things, like I go for a walk every now and again, that's about it. Um, you know, he'd mismanaged his energy somehow, his intake of calories, I don't know. But so on the finish line, he is utterly spent and his body literally starts giving up and his legs are kind of beneath him. He can't, he can't maintain, he's, he's lost all strength. And his brother Alistair, who's behind in the race, spots what happened spots what's happening, uh, runs up to him and puts his arm around him or get, even gets his arm over the shoulder and, and he gets him to the finish line. And when he gets to the finish line, he, he kind of grabs his brother and he pushes his brother over the finish line ahead of him. A helper. Someone coming alongside. And in that situation, providing strength that his brother didn't have. We're being promised an advocate. We're being promised someone who comes alongside and gives us strength that we don't have to help us. There's something about being a Christian which is utterly impossible. It's like saying to a caterpillar, why don't you fly? And the caterpillar's like, I'm just here on a leaf. What do you mean, fly? But the Holy, being, a, being a people of the Spirit, being a people who receive the Spirit, means actually, yes, you can fly. 
because something happens. We are transformed and we receive a, a help and a power that is not our own. There's a, a, another example, still athletic actually, and this might look quite similar. Misato Mishihika, a Japanese uh, marathon runner, won gold at the Paralympics in uh, Tokyo, the 2020 Games in the T12 category. She is uh, partially sighted, so she runs with a guide. Um, they are, they're tethered together. You can see that just between them, tethered together, uh, because she has, in that, in that sense, what she needs in this particular race is not someone else's energy, but someone else's guidance. She can run, but she needs help to navigate the course, and that's what her running guide is there for. We have another helper, another advocate, because we don't always know the path and the way to go. We need guidance. We need the Holy Spirit. And you see here that Jesus promises another advocate. In other words, he's saying, that's what I have been to you, disciples. You've been with me, and I have been and still am your advocate, your, your helper, and Jesus, elsewhere in the scripture, is described with the same word. You could turn to uh, 1 John and chapter 2. And reading from verse 1, so 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, John writes, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. So we, we have right now, before God, in heaven, before the Father, we have an advocate, we have a helper, we have someone beside the Father saying, Dan Mayton's sin, I have covered it. I have atoned for it. He's forgiven. And if you have put your faith in Christ, you have exactly the same, as we were even hearing from one of the contributions earlier. And he is, he's our only hope, and he's our only help. No one else can help like Jesus does before the Father. None of my good works, let's say, none of your good works, none of your effort. Um, atones for it, takes the stain away, deals with the smell. Oh, that lingering smell. Oh, I can remember what I did. No, in Christ, it's gone. Why? Because we have a helper, we have a saviour, the righteous one who has atoned for our sin. That's why we can come before God with confidence. Not because I'm perfect, I've, I've reached a state of perfection. No, our, our confidence is not in ourselves. We're not overly impressed with ourselves. We're not illusioned. We know, really, don't we? We know the best and we know the worst of ourselves. What is our hope? It's that we have an advocate with the Father. We still have him and he will always be there, now and for eternity. So Jesus is promising another advocate. We have an advocate with the Father, and we have an advocate who draws alongside us. And just as Jesus is a real person, 
the Spirit is a real person. We're not talking about a, a mystical, vague, sci-fi inspired force that we somehow get to kind of manipulate and control for our own purposes. We're not talking about that. We're talking about a real person in the Godhead. And just as Christ is God himself, this other advocate is God. And so sometimes in Scripture you'll see he's referred to as the, the Spirit of Christ. In other places, the Spirit of God. And so you can marvel, uh, you can, as we turn back to, uh, to this point in John chapter uh, 14, we can you know, try and imagine what it must have been like for those disciples to think, oh my goodness, he's going. He's not going to be with us. He keeps telling us, don't be troubled. Do you know that sometimes happens, doesn't it? When someone keeps it reiterating the same command, like, right, what should I be worried about? <laughs> troubled, yeah, tough. I feel it. So imagine then on the day of Pentecost, they're just praying in a, in a room, 120 believers, thinking, well, he's, he's promised some help. He's promised that we're going to be clothed with power from on high. I can't imagine what that's going to be like. And on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit comes and kind of falls on them, tongues of fire on them, and they're enabled to speak in other languages, declaring to God praise. And this group that have been all kind of turned in on, on themselves, perhaps, quietly uh, locked away, suddenly the, the Spirit of God comes and they're opened up. They can't help but boldly declare these things in earshot of people who don't yet believe him. And you can imagine them kind of, then kind of looking around and thinking, yeah, he's back. He's come. He's true to his word. He sent the helper. He sent the advocate. Jesus even said that it would be better for him to go so that the, another advocate could come, so the Spirit could come. And for a while, that's just bizarre theory, and then they experience it and say, absolutely. We're in the age of the Spirit, a people of the Spirit, with God with us here in Sheffield, and God with you in Gaziabad. So what does the Holy Spirit do? How does he help? What therefore should we expect? Now, the big picture is this. Just think about your own knowledge of God, your own walk with God, your own story, your journey to faith. The point that's brought you to this moment right here and right now, if you're a believer in Jesus... Everything that we have ever known about God, everything that has ever been revealed to us about Him, everything that we have experienced of God, all the help that we have received from God has come to us by the Holy Spirit. All of it. Sometimes we can think of the Holy Spirit, even reading through uh, the creed, it just gives that impression, well, there's a lot to say about Jesus. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Almost, oh, it's a footnote. And sometimes we can be aware of, of some of the, uh, the ministry and the activity of the Spirit 
almost to the detriment of, of other things and, 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 and live off a kind of a caricature. Let me just turn, turn first of all to, to 2 Corinthians and just see how Paul finishes off that letter. 2 Corinthians 13, uh, verse 14. He signs off with this. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who shares with us. God, we, we know about the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and we know about the love of God because the Holy Spirit has revealed them to us. He's done that in all sorts of ways, of course, but it's possible for us almost just to live off, off a caricature, a simplified image of who someone is. I found a fun app uh, a few weeks ago and uh, you, know, you find a, a few photos and you can turn a friend into a, a caricature. So I had some fun, and I thought, well, who can I pick on? I thought I'd pick on Ben. So um, here we go. This is what Ben looked like, according to my, uh, to my newly found favorite app. And it's kind of turned him into a, uh, a Pixar character, really, isn't it? There's a, a touch of the Disney about him. And if you know Ben, that does look a little bit like him. And that picture can remind you that Ben looks a little bit like John McEnroe. But apart from that... We could stick the picture up on the wall. We could frame that. We could look at it every day. And remember, I like Ben, and he looks a little bit like John McEnroe. And then what? Does it, does it, does it help us really get to know Ben to keep looking at that picture with his funny expression? Or is it just a reminder, there is a real person in the building on the second row and you can get to know him. You might get to know Ben and think, oh, he supports Coventry City. Who'd have thought? Any other hands in the room? I doubt it. But anyway. <laughs> but we could focus everything on, on Ben. Oh, yeah, Ben. John McEnroe in Coventry City. Yeah, I know him. I know him. I know all about him. He supports Coventry City. And he looks like John McEnroe. And forget there's like an awful lot more to Ben to know. But we can just live with the caricature and a few boiled down facts. Thank you. Oh, the picture's gone. That's probably helpful. Okay. And we can do the same with the Holy Spirit. Just pick on a few features. Just pick on a couple of familiar facts. And forget the Spirit of God is the means by which we know we've come in to know the real person of God. Now, forgive me, because this is going to be a whistle-stop tour. But let's just take a few moments to consider, again, just who the Spirit of God is and what does He do? What is the help that is available? You see, the Spirit of God, He is the Spirit of truth, as indeed you see in the very next verse. So as a Spirit of truth, He teaches and testifies to us about Jesus. He will remind those first disciples, and now He will remind us of what is true about Him. Because He's the Spirit of truth, He will be, bring conviction of sin into our lives. Um, whereby we, we get, there comes a moment of, of just knowing, I've got to get right with God. I'm cut to the heart. In seasons of revival, um, that, there might be preaching of the word and just a low groan all the way around the room as people are like, oh, oh, I've, I've, 
I've let him down. I've sinned. I've fallen short. That's not a bad thing. That's the Spirit of God coming alongside to help. He wants to help you get right with God. He wants to help you meet the risen Jesus. He wants to guide us into truth. The Spirit of truth will speak the truth. He inspired biblical authors. He came alongside the prophets of the Old Testament and he pointed them forwards. And he said, there's one coming and he's a savior of the world. And the Spirit of truth came alongside the apostles and would say, it's all about Jesus and he's come and let me reveal more to you about uh, who he is. And now the Spirit of God who's given us the Word of God uh, comes to us and shines a light on the Word to illuminate what's true so that we might receive it afresh in our own hearts. That is good news. He's the Spirit of adoption. He's a Spirit who comes alongside and he reminds us, you're not slaves to fear. The Spirit testifies with our spirit and says, you are a child of God. You can call out to him in the most intimate of terms, Abba Father. The Spirit of God by which the love of God has been poured out into our hearts. Maybe he wants to remind you of that today. What it really means to belong to God. Cut through all of those doubting questions. Do I really fit in? Am I significant? That all gets brushed aside by the truth. And by the Spirit who reminds us of our adoption. He's the Spirit of wisdom and revelation that we might get to know God better. He is the Holy Spirit who help comes alongside. What does he do? He helps us put sin to death. Identify and destroy sin in our lives. To be a people who cooperate with the Spirit, who receive the Spirit, who sow to please the Spirit, who delight to keep in step with the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit who comes into us then helps us to become more and more like Jesus. He's the Spirit of power. Jesus promised that you will be clothed with power from on high. A power that would enable us to witness. Just reading again through an uh, old book by, by Terry Virgo. That's what uh, had him calling out to God for the Holy Spirit. It's because he could read the Bible and note the, the boldness of those early believers. And then he checked his own life and says, there is a substantial gap. There are old women going out on the streets of Brighton boldly declaring the good news in Jesus, and I want to turn away and walk the other way. That, that gap drew him to God and had him call out on, for the Holy Spirit that he might receive that kind of power rather than pretending he already had it. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of glory. Sounds wonderful. It's also painful. Just turn for a moment to 1 Peter chapter 4. And verse 14. Listen to this. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. That's not a verse that is spoken about a great deal. I don't think. That's a ministry of the Holy Spirit. We could be thinking, we could be troubled, we could be thinking, well, persecution comes, 
the temperature rises, the cost is great. How am I going to cope? What's going to happen to us? I mean, who here wants to be insulted? Who, who wants to? No one wants to be persecuted. And we can think, if, maybe if we haven't experienced that much of it, it's like, how, how would we get through it? How, how, how? And Peter's writing to say, when you are insulted, when something happens that is horrible, we are being promised here that the spirit of glory will come and bring blessing. That won't necessarily take the insult away. It doesn't mean life is pain-free. It means when that's happening, I can trust God that I will know something of the help of the spirit of glory coming upon me, coming upon us. Now, there'll be some people in the room who know that. I mean, I wonder... Uh, as we get together at different times in the course of the week, you're in a small group discussion or even chatting later on. And you say, like, what activity of the Spirit do you feel more familiar with? What, what has been your experience of the Spirit? Now, if at that point, you're, there's almost like a consensus. Lots of people saying, well, he's helped me speak in tongues. He's, he's helped me exercise a spiritual gift, which we'll come on to. Um, uh, he's, uh, he's helped me to be bold, or so, other such things. You think, yeah, that, I don't actually have as much experience with that. But l- let me tell you the experience I do have. When I got insulted, I was the closest to God I've ever known. When I was being persecuted, I can't explain it. But God protected me and sheltered me and encouraged me in a way I couldn't imagine. Let's be honest about our experiences. Let's be ready to learn from someone else's experience of the Spirit. The Spirit is incredibly generous. He does distribute gifts throughout the church to strengthen, encourage, to comfort. The the Bible uses a word that can sound a bit old-fashioned, really. Just turn for a moment to 1 Corinthians 14. And verse 4, anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. What's going on there? To, to edify is to build up, to strengthen. At what point in church history do you think we stopped needing to be strengthened? Do you think we've reached a point of maturity and strength where we can just allow kind of gifts of the Spirit to go by the wayside now because we kind of matured beyond them? Just let me tell you for a moment, before we meet God in glory and we're on a new heavens and a new earth, the church of Jesus Christ is always going to need to be strengthened. Who are we if we think we can do without what God wants to provide us? A bit like a, a, a building with scaffolding. If you see kind of a building site, you can kind of imagine the, the scaffolding, the cranes, they're there for a time, um, uh, and, and then they're done away with. You don't need them. I saw recently a building, not that one, that centuries on is still being built. It's, it's unfinished. And the, chur- the church is like that. You can, you can look at her and think, glorious, wonderful, something's happening. 
There are always these cranes about, always, these, always this scaffolding. Why? Because it still needs to be built up. And so the Scripture would encourage us to eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit because the church needs to be built up. Not because my personal dreams and wishes need to be fulfilled, because God is about a great building project. So yes, we need tongues. Yes, we need prophecy. Yes, we need gifts of miracles and healing, which will come into sharper and sharper focus the more the NHS uh, suffers, the more Western civilization disintegrates, and we realize, oh, yeah, we, we always did need God. You realize? We always need God. Let's believe in the Spirit's generosity. He still wants to draw alongside and do these things. And being a church is like being a building which is always under construction and the scaffolding is up. And not just in terms of gifts of the Spirit, we will always need the Spirit in all of those ways and more. And all that help from the Holy Spirit will always be available now until Jesus comes again. So in conclusion, how, how are we to relate to the Holy Spirit? I guess there are so many, so many things we could comment on at this point, but we're going through the Apostles' Creed, which says, I believe. I believe in the Holy Spirit. We relate to the Holy Spirit by faith, by faith that is humble, because God opposes the proud. And faith that is eager and expectant. So we can acknowledge our needs, love God's church by believing God's promises. Jesus was talking to his disciples. And on one level, it was totally understandable that their hearts might be troubled. It's easy for us, isn't it, with the gift of hindsight, to look back and think, well, they should have known. Go on, trust the promises. As if it's just some superficial experience. Of course their hearts were going to be troubled. But if they listened to Jesus... To find a way of living by faith, not living a life that is shaped by fear and anxiety. The disciples could be troubled, afraid, anxious. And for us, there are things going on in the world, there are things going on in this nation, and there are things going on in your life that can, could, maybe are, causing you to be troubled. So what are you going to do? What are we going to do? Sometimes when trouble starts to grip our hearts, we pretend the issue lies somewhere else. And the problem is, the Holy Spirit doesn't seem to be around quite as much as we need Him. And we can imagine the problem is in God. 
The disciples were afraid. Don't you care if we drown? There can be things in the world that want to squash our faith. That are. Like, who's not troubled by what's going on in the Middle East? Who's not troubled by a nation that has lost all its bearings completely and is profoundly not just drifting, but sprinting away from God. Who shouldn't be troubled? Who shouldn't be troubled when the church in the nation just seems at its weakest point? I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit who draws alongside every weak believer and says, I'm here, I'm available, and I'm promising to help you. It's not just fears in the world, the fears of events out there. When it comes to the Spirit, we can be shaped by fears. We can be shaped by the fear of disappointment. What if, what if I really step out and it just seems like God fails to deliver? I, I'll resolve that by asking for less. The fear of our reputation being damaged. The fear of rejection. What will other people think of me? What will other Christians think of me? If I seem a bit too crazy, what will people think of me? If I seem a bit too conservative, what will people think of me? If I say that I have felt the presence of God, I have heard God speak to me, what will other Christians think of me? And if there's a believer who says, well, I'm utterly convinced of the love of God. I know I can call God Abba, Father. But as for feelings, I, I don't think I've ever really felt it. I, I do know it to be true. What will other Christians think of me? And we just fear judgment. We fear kind of getting it wrong. We fear being open and honest. And we fear giving up control. Someone might think, if I ask God to fill me and freshly clothe me with power, what if he doesn't come through? What if I'm left kind of just feeling I've got egg on my face? Someone else might be thinking, what if I ask God to come and fill me with his Holy Spirit afresh? And he really does and I get more than I bargained for, and there are things about my life that have to change? What if I really ask God to help me kill that sin? What if I really ask God to help me in all these ways that are being, being described? Do you know what? We like being in control. We like the idea of a helper who comes in and does things on our terms. But this helper wants to come in on his own terms. It's not just about the help that I think that I need. It's about the help that God thinks that I need. And if the ministry of Jesus delights to put the spotlight, the ministry of the Spirit delights to put the spotlight on Jesus, 
then the Spirit of God wants my life to put the spotlight on Jesus. And maybe there are times when in my flesh, I don't want to do that. And I don't want to give up control. And it can be in our own, our own hearts. My exhortation to you today, it's not just to identify the problems, but is to freshly encourage our desire and expectation for the help of the Holy Spirit. God wants to help. God cares. And so I'm just going to invite you to respond right now. We will worship in a moment. But do you remember what Dan shared with us 